0: If Matthew presents Jesus as King of the Jews and Mark portrays him as Jehovah's servant, Luke portrays Jesus as the perfect God-man, with an emphasis on his humanity. Behold the man is Luke's main thrust, which makes sense because he writes to the Greeks, who mused much about humanity and embraced the gods and goddesses of Greek mythology. In Luke's Gospel, we see God manifest in the flesh primarily A savior who identifies fully with our humanity and yet soars sinlessly and excellently above it. In all, Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the perfect God-man. He is man enough to feel our pain and God enough to do something about it. I'm Ron Jones and this is Something Good.
1: should we believe that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be? Find out next on this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. The Gospel of John offers many reasons to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That was the purpose of John's writing, to convince his readers to believe that Jesus was and is the long-awaited Messiah. Today, Ron offers some rather convincing proof of Christ's claim as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron and part two of his Something Good Radio message, John, Reasons to Believe.
0: John also records seven distinct reasons to believe in Jesus through what are called the I am statements. These are self identifying statements Jesus made, beginning with the words, I am. Maybe some of this sounds familiar to you, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Just before he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, he said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He also said in the upper room, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he added, no man comes to the Father but by me. He also said in the upper room, I am the true vine. Seven self-identifying statements. Jesus is the same I am, according to John, who, who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses inquired of God's name, you remember how the Lord replied to him in Exodus chapter three? He says, I am who I am. Now what a strange sounding name. And don't confuse it with a line from the Dr. Seuss book, I am Sam, Sam I am, I love to eat green eggs and ham. All right? Now, this name by which God introduces himself to Moses is not child's play. It's not childish in the least bit. In fact, the meaning of this divine name uh, in Hebrew, actually, the, the name in Hebrew is Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the sacred name that Jews would not pronounce aloud because they revered it so much. Jesus spoke at least translated in John's gospel, the Greek version, ego I me. And in both languages, the name means I am the absolute and all sufficient one who works on your behalf. Jesus said it seven times, I am, I am, I am. Ego I me, ego I me, ego I me. And John presents Jesus to us as the great I am. And what a powerful name it is. Case in point, uh, when Roman soldiers raided the Garden of Gethsemane hours before his crucifixion, Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, "Well, well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, ego I me, I am he. And John records in chapter 18 that when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now these were stout, strong, Roman soldiers. And when he pronounced his divine name, Ego I, Me, blew them back to the ground. Jesus is not presented as the great I was or the great I will be. He is the great I am, present in every sense of the word. Thus, the seven self-identifying statements spoken by Jesus reveal several things. First, he's eternally self-existent. Let that just sink in a little bit. Eternally self-existent. Nobody created him, and he needs nothing. 100% self-existent. He's powerful beyond measure. Secure in his identity, he knew exactly who he was. He said it seven times at least. I am, I am, I am, I am. And he's uniquely qualified to satisfy our deepest needs starting with the bread of life. He says, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he declared, I am the bread of life. These seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John also powerfully present Jesus as God. Now, there are some people down through the ages who claim this idea that Jesus was God was something whipped up by the disciples to enhance his uh, standing in front of everybody after he died on a cross. Baloney! Read the Gospel of John. He said himself, Ego I me, I am. And it was a self declaring statement of his deity as deity. They didn't have to whip this up. He said it over and over again. Understanding each I am statement within its larger context is a worthwhile study, and there's a lot that could be said. In fact, for those of you who have been around for a while, you might remember my first series of messages that I preached here at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church on October of 2015 was titled, Why Jesus? Seven Reasons He is Still the, the One and Only and it was on the 7 a.m. statement. So there's a whole lot that we can say and it's in the digital library at at, uh, somethinggoodradio.org. You can access all of that for free. But suffice it to say, knowing who Jesus is and what he can do for you is vitally important. Knowing why Jesus is unique in our diverse culture is equally important. Why Jesus and not Muhammad or Buddha or the many gods of Hinduism. Well, John demonstrates why the Great I Am is the one and only begotten of God. He makes the strong, irrefutable case for why we should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ exclusively and live through Him. This is the Gospel of John. And if that's not enough to believe on Him, John goes on. He also weaves stories into his Gospel of eight, Sign miracles performed by Jesus. By the way, do you believe in miracles? (laughs) Do you need a miracle? Somebody needs to say amen. Yeah. Well, during his three-year earthly ministry, Jesus touched and physically transformed so many people. that John says at the end of his books, the libraries of the world would not have enough room for the books that could be written about him. Now, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record 37 of Jesus' miracles. John highlights eight of them as signs, signposts that point people to Jesus and say, he's the Messiah. See? And here's proof positive. According to John, Jesus turned water into wine, healed a nobleman's son, and healed a man who had been sick for 38 years and was unable to walk. He also fed 5,000 men and their families with a few loaves of bread and small fish. Jesus walked on water, restored sight to the blind, raised the dead, and made schools of fish swim into the disciples' nets after they had fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus was truly a miracle worker, as one would expect of the Messiah. Uh, Jesus' miracles connect us to the power of God and fill our hearts with wonder and worship. They revitalize our confidence in the word of God and replenish our faith. And mostly they validate that Jesus was indeed the Christ and the incarnate Son of God. Interestingly enough, after Herod threw uh, John the Baptist into prison, uh, John began doubting his ministry. The other gospel writers uh, tell us this story. John inquired of Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And this is remarkable because uh, John is the one who affirmed Jesus to his own disciples and pointed to him early in the ministry and said, behold, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, now John's uh, faith is in a, in a moment of crisis. And he sends some of his messengers to Jesus. And in response, Jesus says to John's messengers, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Just the right moment before Herod's executioner beheaded John, he received the reassuring news that the works of Jesus, his miracles, prove who he is. And John, John's faith was restored and, and strengthened at that moment, just in the nick of time.
1: We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, visit somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to access the Something Good Digital Library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic and find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. Again, that's our Something Good Digital Library at somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio and free resources like the Something Good Digital Library only exists through the faithful prayer and financial support of listeners like you. Today, as you give, we'll give you access to an e-book written by Dr. Ron Jones that goes along with the sixth road trip in his current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. This digital resource covers the four gospels and the book of Acts. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Ron will join me here in studio after today's message, so stay with us. But first, let's tune in to the second half of today's Something Good radio message, John, Reasons to Believe.
0: Uh, There's more to John's beautiful gospel they give us reasons to believe, and, and one is a unique section of scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. It's John ch- chapters 13 through 17, and although some of it is covered by uh, other gospel writers, much of this is unique to John. It's one of the most intimate conversations Jesus had with his disciples. Travel back in time nearly 2,000 years ago. It's Holy Week in Jerusalem, Passover time. And imagine yourself at a private dinner with Jesus in an undisclosed place located somewhere in the city of David. If, like Jesus, you had less than 24 hours to live, what would you say to your closest friends and family and your followers? Well, in the upper room, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, And and showed them how to improve their serve. He addressed betrayal. He just had a face to face conversation with Judas about what he was going to do. He gave them a new commandment about love. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. He also revealed the secrets of a fruitful life. I love John chapter 15. Abide in me and let my words abide in you, Jesus says. Uh, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he uses that uh, analogy of the vine and the branch. It leads to one of his uh, self-declarative statements. I am the true vine, he says, and my father is the vine dresser. Uh, Jesus offered peace amid tribulation. He discussed the hope of heaven. He predicted his second coming. He comforted his confused disciples with these words. He says, let not your heart be troubled. No, Sean Hannity didn't coin that phrase. It came from Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, he says, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14. As heaven's high priest, Jesus also prayed for his disciples. John chapter 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. Uh, The other one that we call the Lord's Prayer is really a model prayer that he gave to his disciples. But read the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Oh my. He prays for his disciples and for the disciples to come, which means he's praying for us too in that great prayer. Following the upper room discourse, uh, John describes Jesus' dramatic arrest and the trial before uh, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and uh, the Roman governor, Pilate. He records three of the seven last cries of Jesus from the cross. To get those seven last cries, you gotta go to all four of the gospels. John records the one where he says uh, um, to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Uh, he, he was handing the responsibility for his own mother over to John, the beloved disciple. What a touching moment that was. He records the time where Jesus said, I thirst in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then those final words where he says, it is finished. telestai, uh, It's, a, it's a, a Greek word that's used in the marketplace to say paid in full, paid in full. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the most convincing of the sign miracles that point him, or point to him as the incarnate Son of God. And you can read John's uh, rendering of the resurrection story. John closes his gospel, though, with a detailed account of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. I, I know for some of you, still seeing is believing and you want evidence You want evidence. Well, uh, Christianity is not without evidence, the kind of evidence where you can believe beyond a reasonable doubt. Given all the circumstantial evidence, pile on to that evidence the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. John mentions them uh, perhaps more than the other gospel writers, and he includes his uh, uh, post-resurrection appearance to Peter. Remember Peter who had denied Jesus? And Peter thought for all practical purposes, you know, his, his connection to Jesus was over. E- even if he did rise from the dead, what, what use would I be to him? Peter must have uh, mused in his own mind and so he went back to fishing. Pulled a few of the other disciples with him. May- maybe we can go back to the business that we came from because I've, I've failed my Lord. And the disciples, reminiscent of the first time Jesus met them, they come back from that all night fishing trip, they had caught nothing. These professional fishermen failed again. And Jesus says, guys, drop the net on the other side. What, who's it? Drop the net on the other side. And Peter recognizes the voice. He hops out of that boat. He almost walks on water just to get to the shore. There's Jesus, cooking up a fish and chips breakfast for the boys. And in a very tender scene John records the time that Jesus pulls Peter aside and gives him a second chance. John introduces us to the God of second chances in chapter 21. It's worth the read from chapter one all the way to chapter. He, he starts you know, circling the Milky Way, talking about the Logos, and then at the end he's, he's so personal. And so tender in this scene with Jesus and Peter, the God of second chances. You need a second chance today? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll give you a second chance and maybe a third and a fourth. John presents to us the life and times of Jesus Christ and he compels us to make the most important decision of our lives. I'll say it to you in a question. Do you believe? Remember, believing is seeing. And when you believe, no, you're not gonna see polar bears directing traffic at the North Pole. At least I don't think you will. But you'll see Jesus. You'll see him like you've never seen before when you take that step of faith. And say I believe not just with my head but with my heart and my will that's what captured the Jewish and Hebrew idea of belief it was more than just a head thing checking a theological box no it's a head thing that traveled to the heart and impacted the will I Believe is what John encourages
1: us to say. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, John, Reasons to Believe. And Dr. Ron Jones is here in studio with me. Ron, John offers many reasons for us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. One of the most compelling is the resurrection account, and not merely the empty tomb, which is compelling enough, but the disciples' behavior afterwards, going so far as to die rather than recant their assertion that the resurrection actually took place. Now, I'm sure skeptics would ask, how is that different from what followers of other religions have done in the past? What would you say to them? Well that's a great question Brian and let me
0: begin with this. Suicide bombers are not only dying for something, they're killing for something, destroying lives and inciting fear. The apostles never used violence or terror in the name of Jesus Christ. Instead they suffered harm for professing the resurrection but they themselves did no harm. That's one difference. But here's the most crucial difference. You know people will often die for a lie they believe to be true. But the apostles would have had to die for a lie they knew to be false. You see, they were accused of stealing the body of Christ. Had they been guilty, that would have meant there was no longer any basis for what they believed. And as such, there is no way they would have subjected themselves to persecution and ultimately uh, martyrdom. And that is why the empty tomb is so foundational to the Christian faith, because it gives the world some rather compelling evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an actual historical event. And here's what I find most fascinating, Brian. Uh, There are no scholars today, not even staunch critics of the Christian faith, who believe the body of Jesus was stolen from that tomb. Uh, The Jews or the Romans had no motive to steal the body. Uh, They wanted to suppress Christianity, not encourage it by providing it with an empty tomb. And as I said earlier, the disciples would have had no motive either because of their preaching on the resurrection. They were beaten. They were killed. They were persecuted. Why would they go through all of this for a deliberate lie? No serious scholar holds to the stolen body theory or any other anti-resurrection theory today. Think about that. The foundational principle of the Christian faith, the empty tomb, comes with no other plausible explanation, not even by secular scholars other than that the resurrection is true. Uh, The tomb is empty, and that is without dispute. And that means Jesus
1: Christ is alive and that he is exactly who he says he is, which is God himself in the flesh. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts why we should believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. So, Ron, before we go, tell us what's in store for us tomorrow when you continue your teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible.
0: You know, Brian, speaking of how the disciples lived out their lives once they knew for certain that Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to them afterwards... On our next broadcast, we'll get to dive into their post-resurrection lives following the day of Pentecost. I'm speaking, of course, of the uh, book of Acts, which is the inspired record of what I like to call the early church IPO, the initial public outpouring of God's spirit that formed the church Jesus said he would build. I don't think Hollywood could have written a better script than what actually took place here in the book of Acts. It's the final leg of road trip number six during my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And Brian, I can't wait to get started.
1: That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Acts, You Shall Be My Witnesses. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and our entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.